Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. So I don't know if uh, you've ever been kicked in the face by a stranger, uh, but it's definitely not one of those things I would like recommend putting on your bucket list uh, to experience in life. Uh, I was a, a sophomore in high school at the time, and I had this friend named Christy, and she and I, honestly, we were, we were just friends, and we were totally cool with being just friends. Uh, but there was one person who was not cool with it, and that was Christy's boyfriend. Uh, and he did not like the fact that we were friends. And uh, he, he was a couple years older than us. He was a, a senior. We were sophomores. And uh, so I, I didn't cross paths with him a lot. But anytime we did run into each other in the hallway, he would kind of make threats and say demeaning things to me. And uh, one Friday afternoon, I was getting off the bus in front of my house. And uh, behind my bus was the boyfriend. I don't remember his name. I'm going to call him Mike because... Yeah, Uh, so Mike is behind the bus in a car with four of his senior friends, and as soon as he notices it's me, he stops the car in like the middle of the road, which is kind of a major road upstate, and uh, not a a great idea, but then all five of them kind of pile out of this tiny little car like a bunch of angsty clowns, and uh, Mike gets into my my face, and he starts shouting at me and shoving me. He throws a couple of punches, uh, and then, you know, I was a wrestler, so I have a couple of moves, so I kind of wrap him up and take him to the ground, and then I meet his friend. I did not catch his friend's name. Uh, His friend was not into normal introductions, Uh, so his, his preferred method of introducing himself to new people is laces to the face. I would have been good with a handshake, a fist bump, any of those traditional methods. Uh, So yeah, he kicks me in the face, and then at that moment, my neighbor comes running out, charging after them, and and comes to my rescue, and they pile into the car, and they speed away. This was on Friday. I I go to school on Monday, and I, I run into Christy, and I hear the rest of the story that as they sped away, they ended up getting into a car accident, like flipping the car, and everybody's okay. But the car wasn't, and, uh, and I remember hearing this, and there was just this sense of satisfaction <laughs> that I had in that moment. It's like, yes, justice has been served, and I'm not saying that it was right or appropriate for me to feel that or if justice had been served, but there's something in us that loves to see bullies put in their place. We love to see the villain come to justice. We love it so much. I mean, how many times is Marvel going to make the same movie where the hero brings the villain to justice? All right? They just keep making the same movie over and over again. They're not going to stop until people like me stop wanting to go and see it because we love to see the bullies brought to justice. We love to see the villains vanquished. We love to see judgment poured out on those who deserve it and be put in their place. We are in our third week of a series that we're calling Thy Kingdom Come. It's a study of the book of Revelation. Today we're going to be in in Revelation chapter 5. And uh, Revelation is just, it's an odd, trippy book. There's a lot of like weird images that are kind of hard to necessarily understand and grasp. Uh, And part of our goal with this series is to try and understand what those images are. That, that they do make sense in the, the context in which they were written. 
And that these images, they were given to a church that kind of felt like it was just getting kicked in the face. A church that was seeking justice and redemption from the situation that they're in. And so we're excited because we live in a world where we kind of feel like we're getting kicked in the face a lot. (laughs) And we need these hopeful images to remind us that, that justice is coming. And that there is security So we're going to be looking at this passage that Max just read for us, uh, starting off in verse 1. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, there you go, of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides and sealed with the seven seals. And this is the first image that we get in this passage of a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed. Uh, and if, if we were reading this kind of out of nowhere, we'd be like, what is the scroll? But we, fortunately, we have the Old Testament. And what you'll find as we go through Revelation is that most of the images that we see in Revelation are not original to Revelation. They're actually, they, they go back to the Old Testament. And so if we go back to the Old Testament prophets of Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel, we see this scroll show up, scroll with writing on both sides and sealed. And every time, the scroll represents God's plan to bring judgment and redemption. It's his plan to bring the bullies to justice and to bring liberation to the oppressed. And so it's it's good news that comes up in this scroll every time. And John is, is he sees this scroll, and this is a hopeful moment for him. He knows what this scroll represents, but John, he's in a dark place. He is in this prison work camp, exiled on this island of Patmos, and he's the last living apostle. All the other apostles have been brutally murdered, and, and then, you know, his whole life's work has been kind of pastoring and planting churches, and the churches aren't doing so great. Uh, there's a, a lot of churches at this point that are just starting to compromise and bend to the culture around them. There are other churches that might not be compromising with the world around them, but they're just kind of going through the motions and they become kind of cold and hard and unloving. And, and then there's, you know, the handful of churches that are actually, they're doing a great job, but those churches are, are experiencing incredible oppression. And then there's the, the society around them, which is just going to hell in a handbag. I mean, they are uh, just the most deplorable practices have become normative in his society. And the whole empire is being run by this godless megalomaniac who just has no intention of bringing good to anyone but himself. And this is the world that John is living in, and he sees the scroll. And this scroll represents God's plan to fix it. (laughs) It's God's plan to make everything right. This is like a really hopeful scene, because on this scroll is the details of how it's all going to be put back together again. But very quickly, John's hopes are dashed to pieces. It says he saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who's worthy to break the seals and uh, and open the scroll? So here's this plan of God to bring healing and restoration and justice into our world. Who's going to be able to open this scroll? And it says, no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. No one. And you know why John looks out and he realizes that no one is able to open the scroll. No one is able to to figure out what God's plan is, how to put everything back together again. The reason he could find no one is because he couldn't see me. 
I was blocked by one of those angel creature things. Uh, if he saw me, he would have known that I have figured it out. Aren't you guys so happy? If only the world would consult me, I could tell everybody how to fix all of the problems that we experience in our world today. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that in some ways you can relate to John, where you, you have villains in your life, whether they're people or groups of people, or even just ideologies, or maybe it's, you know, something not Uh, of a personal nature, it's more of a pandemic that you want to see fixed, you want to see justice brought. Well, turns out on the scroll is the answers to how to fix all of these problems and no one but me knows how to open the scroll. Uh, Of course, that's nonsense. I do not know how to open the scroll. No one is able to open the scroll. No one. Not me and not you which is a sobering thought, and it's hard to wrap my mind around because often I feel like if only the rest of the world saw it like I see it and thought like I thought, then maybe we'd be able to fix what's broken in our society. And John says, no one, no one in heaven or on earth. Now think about this. No one in heaven or on earth. So it's not just like because all people are so godless. No one in heaven or on earth including the angels, including the, the elders. So think about this. The, the people that were responsible for writing scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit didn't have the ability to open the scroll and figure out God's plan how to fix things. Which means that there's no amount of knowledge of scripture and biblical principles that gives us the ability to open the scroll and to know how to fix what's broken in our world. There's no amount of knowledge of scripture or biblical principles that gives us, that makes us qualified to figure out how to fix what's broken. I'm not saying that, you know, knowing biblical principles isn't helpful to kind of get a snapshot. You notice uh, when he talks about the scroll, he says there's writing on the outside as well, the inside and the outside. Well, in in this period of time, uh, the writing on the outside, what they would do is they would kind of almost write like uh, a summary on the outside. There's like a legal abstract where you kind of get this summary so that you would know without having to open the scroll, you'd get a snapshot of what's inside. But it's kind of like the movie trailer, right? You get a, a, you know, a couple of ideas. You know, it's not like we have no idea what's in the scroll, but... But clearly, we don't know the full picture. There's a big difference between seeing the trailer and seeing the movie, right? And you can get the whole movie wrong when you just know the trailer. And so even if we have all of this biblical knowledge and these biblical principles, it doesn't mean that we are qualified to know with any certainty how to fix what's broken in our world. It's only the one who's able to open the scroll. And John says, no one is able to do it. No one. And it's not just that we're not like worthy in the sense like we're not good enough to do it. We're we're simply not capable of it. We're not capable of understanding and and figuring out God's plan to make everything right again because there's something from our human perspective, there's something that's seemingly paradoxical about the nature of God. We, we get a really good picture of this in, uh, in Exodus 34. This is where God reveals himself to Moses. You might remember the story, but it's like the closest like anyone got to seeing God face to face. Moses gets to see God. And as God is passing by, he declares his name to Moses, which is in a sense, God is declaring his essence to Moses. And God says, I am rich in mercy. I have to walk off and grab my mercy. Ugh, I'm back for those who are watching on the stream. Uh, <laughs> So, I am, I'm, I'm rich in mercy, in compassion, 
right? And he says, I'm loving and I am forgiving. I'm so forgiving to like thousands and thousands and thousands. I forgive the wickedness and the iniquities of people. This is what God declares of himself as he's letting Moses know who he is. And in the very same breath, he says, but I'm also just and I will punish the the wicked. Uh, Wait a second. So you're saying you're, you're, you're merciful and you're going to show mercy and forgiveness to those who are wicked, but you're also going to be just and you're going to pour out judgment on the wicked? <laughs> These seem like two mutually uh, exclusive ideas. And, and what we might want to think is that, well, God is a mixture of these. He's a blend of both of these, but he, he's not a blend of these. He is the fullness of each of these. We might want to go to a wide shot because I'm going to walk off camera. Yeah, because his mercy is like way out here. Even the camera can't even capture how the distance between his mercy and his judgment, right? It, it's not like a little bit of mercy and a little bit of judgment. God is perfectly, completely full of mercy, and he's perfectly, completely full of judgment. And I can't hold both of them in my hands at the same time. I can't reach that far. None of us can. From our human perspective, our human limitations, we can't grasp onto his mercy, his perfect mercy, and his perfect judgment at the same time. And what we're forced to do is to choose between one or the other. And for some of us, we lean a little more toward the mercy. And we just want to show mercy and compassion. And, and, and that's good, because that's so much a part of God's character. And others, we, we lean toward his justice and his judgment. We want to just, you know, pour out judgment on wickedness and evil and deal with it. And that's good, because it's part of God's character. And then there's, I think most of us, what we end up doing is we vacillate back and forth between these two, depending on the circumstance. But one thing we can't do is we can't hold them together. We aren't worthy to open the scroll. We don't have the capability to do it. No one was worthy to look inside. But then, here's John, and he's, he's so hopeful because he sees the scroll. He knows it's the answer. It's going to fix everything. No one's able to do it. And naturally, his response is, he weeps. He says, I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. It breaks his heart. This is like wept and wept. It's not like he, you know, choked up a little bit. It says that, like, he wept to a great degree. Like, he is ugly crying. Uh, And I imagine some of you might have been able to relate to this at certain points in the last few years where you just look at the state of our world and you just want to weep. It breaks your heart. And maybe for you, you're not, you know, you're not a crier. You know, John was a very emotionally uh, kind of uh, transparent person. Maybe you're not a crier. Maybe for you, though, that, that angst turns into anger and rage, and you're just angry, and you're kind of shouting at everyone. Or maybe for you, you, you just kind of retreat into yourself, and you kind of emotionally detach, but you see the state. You see what feels like this hopelessness that no one, no one is going to be able to open that scroll and put it back together. And John weeps. And then one of the elders says to him, do not weep. Do not weep. Now this, this is a command. Uh, it's like in the imperative, in the original language. It's not like the elder coming beside John and saying, hey, oh no, they're there. Don't cry. It's going to be okay. It's more like the elder saying, stop your crying. <laughs> no, 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 stop crying. Right? And he says, 
See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, and he's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The elder says, stop crying. No, no, no. There is someone who can open the scroll. There is someone who is able to put it back together again. And he picks up these two Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. The first is this picture of the lion. It comes from Genesis 49, where uh, we see Judah, the, the tribe of Judah being blessed. And it says, you are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to, who dares to rouse him? And the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So we get this picture of this kingly lion, right? And, and the kings of Israel came from the line of Judah. So David, you know, King David was from the line of Judah, and the scepter will not depart from his house, and all of the nations are going to submit to this kingly ruler, this lion of Judah. And then he, he uses this other Old Testament prophecy about a shoot coming up from the stump of David. He says, David in Revelation, it says, Jesse here in Isaiah 11. Uh, but Jesse is David's father. So saying son of David, son of Jesse, it's, it's their synonyms for each other. But he says that there's this stump of Jesse and a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. And so here, again, we get this, this other picture of Jesus the king, right? From the line of du Judah, from the line of David, this conquering king, and the, all the nations are going to rally to him, right? And I love this picture of the stump, because if you think about it, you have this, this tree stump and this little sprout starting to come up. And this tree stump, it represents the kings that have gone before. Right? And all of the kings that have gone before, they weren't able to, to make the cut. And they've been chopped down. And it feels like there is no hope because where all the kings of the world has failed, how, how is the world going to get put together again? But there is a shoot starting to spring up, this little sprout. And Jesus is not just the line of Judah, this conquering king, but he is the king of kings, the king who will, who will conquer where all the other kings have failed before him. And so there's this, this uh, hope and anticipation again because we have this conquering king who's able to open the scroll. And then John looks to take a, a peek at the Lion of Judah. He says, then I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. It's like, whoa, <laughs> wait a second. I thought we were going to turn and see the, the Lion of Judah, this conquering king. This is what we need. We need the conquering king. We need the roaring lion, the one who can succeed where all the other kings have failed. And he turns and he sees a lamb. And this isn't like a ram, like the one on the front of a, like a, a Dodge truck. Like this is a little lamb. That's the word that's used here. A little, frail little lamb as if it's been slain, right? This little lamb that's already been to the chop, chopping block, slaughtered, and yet standing before him. The king of kings as this frail little lamb. And the picture continues. He says this lamb was standing at the center of the throne. Now, if you've been following with us, you know there's one person seated on the throne in heaven. And that's God himself. But the lamb is now standing at the center of the throne? He goes on, he says, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. And we can't unpack all of this, but uh, just 
suffice it to say, seven was the uh, kind of a number of completion. It symbolized like the fullness of something. Horns represented power. Eyes represented wisdom. So it says that this lamb standing at the center of the throne in God's place has all the, w- the power and all the wisdom. He's saying that he, he is omnipotent. He is omniscient. And it says the seven spirits of God, that's a, a euphemism for the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit sent out into all the nations from him. You get the picture that John is seeing here is that Jesus, Jesus, the, the same Jesus that he saw bleed and die, the Jesus that was born as a, a little boy and grew up and has flesh, and John watched him live as a human being, that same Jesus is God himself. And in this picture, what, what we see, it's not a, a, a random picture that John sees. It's a very specific picture of Jesus. We get to see Jesus as the paradox. Jesus, the paradox. Here he is. He's simultaneously the lion, the roaring lion, the mighty king of kings, and he's the lamb who has been slain. He is the slain lamb, right? This dead lamb who's still living at the same time. We see the son of Judah, the son of Jesse, the son of David, the son of man, who is simultaneously the son of God. We see all the fullness of God and all the fullness of man coming together. We see Jesus, the paradox, the lion and the lamb. And Jesus, the paradox, is the only one who is capable of opening the scroll because Jesus, the paradox, is the only one who is able to reach out and simultaneously hold on to the fullness of God's mercy and the fullness of God's judgment. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross and in one, one simple moment, he did what nobody else could do and he was able to reach the fullness of God's judgment and the fullness of his mercy at the same time demonstrating that he is capable, he is worthy of opening the scroll. And as he bled out on the cross, the fullness of God's judgment was poured out on sin. And the fullness of his his mercy and forgiveness was purchased through the blood of Jesus. Jesus, the paradox, he's the only one that can do both of these at the same time. We need the lion and we need the lamb. And this is the picture that John gets, the lion and the lamb. This isn't random. He's the only one who's able to open the scroll. Not only is he able to open the scroll, it gets even better because it says that he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So Jesus is not only able to open the scroll, but he's doing it. Like he has the scroll in hand. And as soon as this happened, the very next thing that happens is heaven just erupts. And like rejoicing and praise. There's like so much excitement. And it's because we want angels upon angels rejoicing. Have you ever been, have you ever been in uh, uh, like a stadium filled with people and you're watching like one of those really kind of tight nail biter games? I don't know, pick a sport, but you're there and you're rooting for your team and it's coming down to the wire. And then, you know, your team does the unthinkable and they, they make the play or, or whatever. And in that moment, you and everybody around you just kind of erupts, right? When you, you know, there's that, that sense of tension leading up to it. And you're just waiting, just waiting, waiting. Are they going to be able to pull it off? And then they do. And you're just like, yes, 
That's what's going on in heaven, except instead of it being like a crowd of like, you know, 50,000 people, it says a billion angels in heaven are saying, yes, we won. We won. Guys, we won. Like that's the, the exuberance that's going on in heaven right now. And it's not like we will win. We won. Like the ticker tape parade has already begun in heaven and billions of angels are singing, we won. He's already starting to open the scroll. The, the world is going to be put back to right. He is the only one who's capable to do it and he's doing it. He's doing it, we won. And as they sing their song, we, we figure out who, who it is that won. He says, with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests and to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Who wins? Who wins? People from every tongue and tribe and nation. You know, there, there are some people today like afraid that, you know, China is growing in power. And, and guess what? China doesn't win. But millions and millions of Chinese people will. And there's, there's concerns about Russia and, you know, getting in and messing with our election process. And, and there's concerns about it. And guess what? Russia doesn't win. But millions and millions and millions of Russians do. And of course, America doesn't win. We don't. But millions and millions of Americans do. And it's not that we will win. Guys, we've already won. And yes, we're, we're kind of living in the land between, between when Jesus uh, secured our victory and when we get to experience the fullness of it and we look forward to experiencing the fullness of it. But there is nothing that we can do now to expedite that fullness and there's nothing we can do to hinder that fullness because it's already won. He already won. You already won if you are in Christ. If you believe in him, you're saved. You won. And with this in mind, I just want to point out three kind of practical implications of this. Jesus has opened the scroll. He's the only one who could peek inside. He's opened the scroll. You've won. So first off, Stop crying. <laughs> Stop crying. You know, uh, today's October 4th, which means one month from now, half of the country is going to be weeping. Uh, I don't know which half yet, but half of the country is going to be weeping because they're, they're going to feel like their chance at putting things back together has been shot. Because, the, you know, the person that's supposed to be able to read the scroll didn't get into office. But no, there's only one who can read the scroll and put the world back together again. And he's already started. And we get to rejoice here and now. So, so don't cry. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't cry over, over you know, actual acts of injustice. We, don't, we weep with people that are, are weeping, people that are experiencing pain and suffering. Of course we weep and we groan with them. But we don't weep because, you know, our plan for how to put the world right again doesn't pan out. Because God's plan will. And there's nothing that we have to worry about. Like, it's going to get done. Don't weep over this hypothetical situation that you might view in the future because the wrong person is in office. No, we don't weep over that because we've already won. And, and kind of the flip side of that as well is temper your rejoicing, <laughs> right? Right? 
There's only, there's only one reason to rejoice like the angels did in heaven. That's because the one who's able to open the scroll is opening the scroll. Rejoice over that. Don't rejoice because your candidate gets into office. Like, yeah, you can be satisfied or whatever. Temper your rejoicing in that situation. And if you lose, don't cry about it. Our hope is no way even offset by the, the smallest fraction of a second if the wrong person gets in office. Right? Why? Because Jesus already won. <laughs> Secondly, beware of the counterfeit scrolls. So these, the scroll is God's plan of how to like put it back together. And there's a lot of counterfeit scrolls out there. A lot of ideas that say, this is the plan, how we can make things work, how we can put the world together again. Today, we call them ideologies. And there's conservative ideologies and there's liberal ideologies. There's capitalist ideologies and there's socialist ideologies. And there's no, no shortage of ideologies. But what every ideology does is it says, this is... This is the plan. If you follow this script, the world's going to get put back together again. But there's only one scroll, and none of us and no one on earth is able to peek into that scroll. Jesus has the scroll. I'm not saying we, we can't kind of take things from certain ideologies, but just don't jump into any one ideology, because if you do, we can guarantee that it's wrong. Uh, it's not entirely wrong. All of them have truth to them. That's why they're so compelling. But there are things that are going to be wrong about every ideology because there's only one scroll and only Jesus can open it, right? And so your political party hasn't found a loophole to figure out how to open Jesus' scroll. And, and no party or person can figure out how to, hold, how to hold in tension the fullness of God's justice and the fullness of his mercy simultaneously. Every counterfeit scroll will fail. So be careful how much weight you put into them. And lastly, walk like the lamb. Jesus didn't conquer, didn't conquer and triumph as the roaring lion. He conquered and triumphed as the lamb who was willing to suffer and sacrifice. And if you're, you're, if you're a Christian in the room, then you've already made this, this proclamation in your life that the evil and the wickedness and the brokenness in you, right? The evil, the wickedness, the brokenness in you was conquered and triumphed over a roaring lion? No. It was conquered and triumphed over by a lamb who was slaughtered for you. And nowhere are we told to strut around like the lion, but we are repeatedly told to follow Jesus and to walk as the lamb. This is actually what Peter says in, in Second Peter, or 1 Peter 2. He says, It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. By doing good, not by roaring like a lion, but by being the lamb, you're going to silence the talk of ignorant people. And he says further down, he says, if you suffer for doing good, to this you were called. You were called to suffer for doing good. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. <clears throat> I don't know how God is going to put everything back together again. Uh, only he does. Only Jesus knows how it's all going to put, be put together. But I do know how he inaugurated the star. And it wasn't as a roaring lion. It was as a, a lamb who was willing to suffer and sacrifice. Uh, earlier this week, I, I read a story in one of the commentaries we've been using uh, about uh, a monk named Telemachus. And uh, I was so intrigued by that. I had to go and read more about him. But Telemachus was a, uh, a monk. And in uh, the year 404 AD, it was actually January 1st, 404, Telemachus, who was this Christian monk, 
he, he left his home in the east and he came all the way to Rome. And he walks into Rome and he sees these crowds of people uh, pouring into the Colosseum and he just kind of follows them along, you know, when in Rome. Uh, and so he, he goes in and to his horror, he finds what they were gathering there for. And he sees this spectacle of gladiators just killing each other for sport and crowds of people just watching and cheering as men were, were brutally murdering each other before their eyes. And here this, this meek little monk who had no power to roar like a lion, he couldn't stand by and idly do nothing. So what, what he did is he climbed down into the arena and he started to plead with the gladiators, stop it in the name of Christ, stop. And, and they wouldn't listen. So he did the only thing he knew how to do and he stood in the gap between them, trying to keep them off of one another. And the bloodthirsty crowd got so angry that he interrupted their, their sport, their entertainment, that in that spot they stoned Telemachus to death. It's a heartbreaking story. But then word of Telemachus made it all the way up to the emperor that day. And on January 1st, 404, because of this meek follower of Jesus, he decided to walk like a lamb and stand in the gap and suffer and sacrifice, that was the last day that there was a gladiator killing another gladiator in the Colosseum. It ended that day for good. Centuries-old, brutal spectacle was ended by this, this meek man who decided to walk like a lamb. Because Jesus has a scroll, and on that scroll is the perfect plan of God to fix everything that's broken in the world. And on that plan is, is the plan of how this 600-year-old spectacle would come to an end. And it wasn't with a roaring lion. It was a follower of Christ who was willing to walk like a lamb, who was willing to suffer and sacrifice and stand in the gap. I don't know how God is going to put everything back in order. I don't know how he's going to fix it all. But I know that he is going to fix it all. We've already won. And right now, he's recruiting lambs to join his cause. Would you pray with me? Father, it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that we've won. Our future is secure and certain and we have nothing left to fear. And that there's nothing that we can do to try and, and bring about your fixing the world sooner. And there's nothing we can do to get in the way, God. And that there's no political figure that's going to expedite your, your fixing the world. And there's no political figure that can get in the way of it. And so I pray that with this, this understanding that we've won, that, that we won't weep over our failed plans, but instead we would walk like lions, walk like lambs, God, with a willingness to suffer and sacrifice as Jesus did. And that through our, our meekness, through our humility, God, that not only would you fix brokenness in our world, but even more so that people will see the glory of the Lamb and praise you. We love you and we trust you with all these things in Jesus' name.